Hi, my name is Henry Zabrowski, and you're listening to Monsters, Madness, and Magic. All right, folks, welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, on this episode, Nick, Angelique, and myself chat with comedian, actor, and co-host of the last podcast on the left, Henry Zabrowski, about cryptids, chaos magic, Scientology, horror movies, psychedelic experiences, and more. As always, thank you guys for listening. Like, comment, subscribe, and all that stuff. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> So, Mr. Zabrowski, won't you take us back in time? You're a youngster. Oh, no. Are you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all the above? I am a book reader. I was a very scared little boy, especially the little kid. I was very, very intense. It was the late 80s to the early 90s. I'll always remember going to my grandfather who volunteered at the hospital. I don't know why I thought that he would know this, but I I remember being very concerned. I'd heard about the AIDS epidemic as a little boy and being five and going up to my grandfather being like, am I going to get AIDS? And him just like, now I think about it as an adult, trying to under, trying to speak to a child about this really intense thing. And I remember he used to say, do you get headaches all the time? And I said, no. And he's like, then you don't have AIDS. <laughs> Which is nice, because he did help me. He did really, he did pull my brain out of it. But I was very, I was very much a book reader. I was not, I, I really got into it, but my, I, I would read inappropriate stuff, but my mom basically let me read whatever because I was reading. She didn't really care. So I was reading, uh, I read Stephen King's It when I was like eight. I was the, in that world. I was full. I remember I wrote a report on Peter Benchley's Jaws, which <laughs> is got, again, also just has like, I was like in first grade and it was a whole, like, there's a lot of sex in that book. But yeah, they were is. like, well, he's beyond his reading level, so they allowed it. All the shark sex is weird. It was book. weird. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. I felt it was inappropriate. In our new in our new deviant art world, it actually makes a lot of sense. Now actually I can see where the furry world came from. So you mentioned Stephen King, but you know, do you have any other authors or anything that you lean towards growing up? Any favorites? Well, Stephen King, because my mom was uh, obsessed with Stephen King and Dean Koontz, Peter Staub, like those guys, all of those guys, that style of mass market horror was all over my house. And then truly, I became the stereotype of like, when I moved from, like I grew up in New York until I was 12, 13, and then I moved to Florida and I went through a full, well, you know, a two year goth phase. Because I didn't know how to deal with to do with myself, so I had like one pair of black pants and a Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre shirt that I wore for two years. Relatable. And then, yep, yeah, yeah. And then I found yeah. that's when I really got into stuff about serial killers, 
and True Crime. So that was when I was, I used to have that, which is funny because now I know the man. Like I could talk to Harold Schechter, but it's funny because his book, the original serial killer encyclopedia, the little yellow mass market one, I used to bring with me everywhere. And so I got really into all of that very, very early, like nonfiction, paranormal stuff. Because also we grew up, I don't know how old you guys are, but being 30s. Yeah, we're um, it's it's strange because it was the height of the satanic panic. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of material for kids about Satanism and the occult to help kids, quote unquote, recognize the occult. And I was obsessed with all of that shit. I I used to read all of it and I was like, it make me scared, but also excited. So that was like, in terms of, and then comic books. I was big into comic, when I was like, I basically was into comic books hardcore until I was about 15, and then I picked it back up again in my 30s. I know you read those Time Life books. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Very much so. And the um, Magic Mysteries, that whole series. Yeah. Like, that whole world, like, I lo- like, love it. I used to go to the library. That was the one place my mom would let me walk to. And I would just pull them all out. And it was just my favorite, just getting freaked out by myself. And I just kind of felt like I was the only people, to- I was the only kid who knew this shit. Right. You know, like, I felt like it was my secret because mm. no one else really talked about it. So what scared you as a kid? Everything. <laughs> Truly AIDS. everything scared me as a little kid. AIDS, I yeah. Was, yeah, AIDS, <laughs> very much so. I was a hypochondriac. I was, I was just really intense. I was a really, really very. I was a very scared kid. So I, but I was attracted to it. You know what I mean? There were, there was. I now see truly like I couldn't leave it alone. The movie, one of my favorite things as a kid. Remember the movie House? Yeah. Yes. I've got but the not, box set right over here. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's like, I love it. It's so weird now. Now you watch it and you're like, it's like a horror comedy. It's like yeah. a really weirdly toned movie. But I was obsessed with it as a little kid. And so I'd watch it, but it paralyzed me. I had to check the bathroom sour stall for the lady demon creature from that movie. And I mean it till I was like 14. Like, I would sometimes send my sister into the bathroom first. Oh, like, similar like, with the uh, Shining. Yes. The old lady yeah. in the Shining tub. Yeah, I, definitely. I, I still get a little freaked out by that, like, if we're being completely honest. I mean, to this day, my shower curtain is open, and it drives yeah. my roommates crazy because they're like, close the shower curtain. I'm like, you don't like, know what's in there. That's the whole point. That's, a, that's what they know. The shower murderers know that you are trying to hide the shower. <laughs> no, it's very frightening. No, I uh, and that's to this day. And then when I got into serial killers, and you read about BTK, and and now like getting really into frogging. Have you heard of the concept of frogging, where people oh, like yeah. break in your house and live in your walls and shit? It's not. <laughs> it's not helping any of us. That series is not relaxing at no. all. No. <laughs> you just mentioned uh, when you guys moved from New York to Florida. What was that culture shock like? You know, it's funny because it's not that I was crushing it in New York. You know, like, I was a fat kid. I was immediately, like, um, I've had back hair since I was 10. Yeah. You know, I have been a little Danny DeVito. Feel that. Since I popped out. But you know what's nice? But I see what's nice about back hair is that I think it socially set me up for, like, not everybody's going to like you. you know? Definitely. <laughs> that you're going to be intrinsic to you. Yeah. That people are just not going to like from the get. And you just kind of have to have peace with it. 
but I was at the time I remember being like 13 it was the first time I it was like I feel like it was like my it was because it was the first time I had seen goth girls that was starting to happen at the time because of grunge that kind of stuff was kind of the end the, the tail end of grunge kind of like turning into before the pop renaissance of boy bands and shit which is what Florida was just riddled with so I went for this place where like I finally maybe started to find kind of a you know maybe this will be my group I, you know there was like a girl named Nicole who had like carved the word Kurt into her arm and then she had green hair and a nose ring and I was like that's the she's the coolest you know and I was like I want to get you know that's gonna be the lifestyle I'm gonna do and I feel like I was figuring it out and then I moved to Florida and then every child was hot you know what I mean it was like you went to Florida everyone's a sun-kissed beach like like made for the sand made to be viewed in the summertime I was a pasty 195 pound 12 13 year olds that is just like walked into this florida world so i found up i actually got in with a bunch of like shitty kids like immediately i got with a bunch of kids that were talking about like we used to go blow shit up in a field and that <laughs> style and then and then i honestly then columbine happened and then it changed yeah the vibe of the entire fucking yeah world. gotta stop blowing shit up now yeah and then <laughs> i got into wholesome then i found theater and i found a new thing and then i like weaponized my sense of humor to like fit into society that's kind of like i realized then really that's what i've been doing all along because i used to do running bits even in elementary school and then they used to give me time at the end of class to address the class to get out of my system because i used to, if not i would just talk and talk and talk and talk and so finally they were like you now you can have a set <laughs> and it was awesome so I used to do that, and then and then it, yeah. So that is what the the transition was was then like. It took till about into high school. Once I started doing drama, mm. that's when I found my place within society. I was going to ask you if it was acting or comedy that came first, but it seems almost simultaneous in the, uh, how you just described it. I still it's still mainly comedy. I still view myself not as an actor i'm an entertainer slash performer you know because i've actors are actually very good you have to be very very <laughs> a very good actor where i will show up as more of this man you know like other types of this guy shows up you know but i'm not a daniel day lewis but yeah comedy was a i don't know i was obsessed with it as a little kid i used to do it's hard now because if if it Unfortunately, if it wasn't for Bill Cosby, I wouldn't have gotten into comedy. You know what I mean? I absolutely was obsessed with Bill Cosby and Sam Kennison when I was a little boy. And I used to do Bill Cosby's dentist bit in school. Like, I used to do I had it all memorized. Like, all that one and the bit where he serves the chocolate cake for breakfast and the Bill Cosby himself. And it, it, you know, that was the it, pinnacle of comedy. It was for our generation. my yeah. favorite. And because also, <laughs> I think it was because, you know, not to get too, you know, analytical, but you look at your family. It was like my father watching my dad laugh at it, and he was such a kind of a difficult man. Yeah. So I feel like it was one of those where, like, oh, it's like a thing where, like, he loves comedy. I should do something like that because he likes it so much. And then that's it. I guess that's it. I mean, I just fucking like I have no fucking clue how I got here. I just keep I just keep doing it. I was worried when you said Bill Cosby got you into comedy. I don't remember a lot about his acting school, 
But uh, but the, the stuff I do remember was hilarious. I want to point out that saying every child is hot is a really interesting soundbite to give a group of strangers. Hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> they know what you're talking about. But, but then what I learned is that if you're hot in middle school, you turn into a fucking horrible person. You turn into some garbage lump. Later on, everybody else I know, it's like you you got to choose your face. That's why I'm I I've glowed up. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving it three more years. I'm gonna peak. You know, <laughs> we are at our peak. Our our 40s, the 40s are the best decade. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So Henry, your first time on stage as a performer, how do you recall that going? Did your pants fall down? Anything crazy happen? My first big show was in the big show which is hilarious it was in the first grade and i played it was a christmas play it was about a series of aliens come to earth but the alien that crash lands happens to have the same uniform and looks like santa claus and i was the child and basically according to my teacher i was the only one that didn't need the pillow for the costume <laughs> and i was a ham i honestly don't know how i got the lead like, literally, I was told this because I could fill out the costume and because I didn't care, yeah. you know? And so, like, because when you find out with kids, like, now that my friends have kids, you know, like, some of them will do public performance and they shut down. And mm. some kids just kind of are, like, out the package, ready to, to be in front of people. And I was sort of like that, where I ate it up immediately and so i was really into i just it just kind of happened like that and then i just did glee club but it, i've been consistently on stage since the first grade mm. and it was like all through school and then community theater and it, it just kind of kept going so how yeah, arbo glog i don't know why i remember the name of the character yeah arbo glog but i don't remember the rest of the play you know weird they legitimately were like you're the fattest kid <laughs> You're Santa Claus. That is 1992 a T. Yeah. You know, that yeah. does not exist anymore. That was a, I was a fat kid in high school in, in drama, and I was always given the, the, the grandmother, the mother-in-law. I played yeah. Mr. Mushnick. I played Mr. Fondon in the Diary of Anne Frank. I played the uh, Armenian man that sends <laughs> Helen Keller to Annie. That is true. I played that Armenian man. So, yes, we were character actors. <laughs> so Henry, how does uh, the group that eventually becomes Murder Fist, how do you guys meet and get it off the ground? We met in, it's a funny story. So, well, so in Florida State, I got cast in a play my first semester. And a guy named Jay Sullivan, who was just like the super cool senior, was like, we were walking down and there was an apartment house next to the theater building. And he said, you see that place up there? That's Holden McNeely's apartment. He doesn't give a shit. You just break in there. You can go in there and hang out there, whatever. And they basically, Holden McNeely had a one one of the only people to have a one bedroom apartment in college. We're all like, ooh, fancy. He's got this. He's got his own place because we all <laughs> live in dorms, right? And so, but that became like the hangout for a bunch of actors and the comedian, all the people from the, the theater. People people would just go there, smoke weed, and so we just break into his house, even when he even when he wasn't in there, and like hang out. And, and that crew, so it was this thing called the House of Chaos. That place got handed down from one group of seniors to the next group of seniors to the next group of seniors that were coming up. And so the group before us had a sketch group that they had started that went and began. I don't know if you're aware of a theater in Atlanta called Dad's Garage. It is a comedy theater that's there. And they had left and they had started their own thing. And we were like, 
all of us had come from in high school, I had already been doing kind of sketch comedy. I, I had a youth advisory board thing that I had to do for volunteer work, and I turned it into a production company for myself in high school where we were just doing shows at the library. And then we were doing, like, you know, we got to start doing talent shows. So I was already doing kind of doing sketch comedy. And then these guys were all starting to do improv. I and mean, then there was an improv group called Oncoming Traffic. And then there was another group called Girls Aren't Funny, and it was ironic because there was half girls, right? That, that was at the time. And so that those groups kind of like, a couple of them splintered off. It was Holden McNeely, John Moreno, and a couple other people from Murderfist. And they just started doing these like super inappropriate improv shows. And they were awesome because like the, the school improv group was like, it had too many eyeballs on it to mm. go too far. Yeah. And so we were doing more of the fucked up sucking on dildos like we were already doing that stuff <laughs> group and then it just kind of happened from there and so it was like they saw me i did a 24-hour play where we we got together over 24 hours where you you get together you write the play you rehearse the play at the end of 24 hours you put it up they saw me do a one-man one where it was me as a kid show host that was holding an audience filled with kids hostage with wow. a with a gun and it was me walking up and down the aisles and like terrorizing the audience. And it was really awesome. And those guys were like, oh, because I was a freshman, you need to be in our group. So then I just started working with them second semester of freshman year. And then now I've known all those guys. It's 21 years. I've now known we've been working together pretty much ever since. Ed Larson and I have been working to like, you know, Holden McNeely. We now all live five minutes from each other, which is like this weird ass dream. It's like a college fantasy kind of come to life yeah and we uh it's really fucking awesome but then we yeah it just started from there and then like you know this gay bar called brothers just gave us a tuesday they're like you can have tuesday and so we just would do we would just kind of experiment and then our theater program would kind of let us use the black boxes and then we ruined the black box floor during a summer sketch show where we dumped buckets and buckets of state of fake blood all over this like new high-tech like soundproofed floorboard <laughs> thing and we destroyed the whole thing we got in a lot of trouble pulled up mcneely got kicked out of the bfa program it was this big like draw everyone was like ha it was really drama but then we turned into the rebels so the, the bfa we went down to hang out with us because we got like you know one of us it was cool we were like the bad guy bad boys you know and it was fun <laughs> just do it sketchy. but then i was drama client i was drama president so i also held an iron fist over it was fun to do we had a lot of fun in college but yeah, then we just moved to New York together, and it's just been doing it ever since. You're still drama president, Henry. I am president of drama. <laughs> yeah, yes, bad bitch club. That's me. So, no, it's fun. It's fun. I love it. No, it gets just we're just it's it's cool. I'm just glad that I can still I'm still with my boys. So how does someone that doesn't consider themselves an actor find themselves in a Martin Scorsese movie? Well, that's funny because it was all improv based. The first, oh, I got the audition. It really helps when you don't think you have a remote chance. So, like, I got the audition to play a stockbroker in a Scorsese movie. And I was like, this is fucking garbage. There's no way they're going to. I don't look like a stockbroker. They're not going to hire me. <laughs> and then they looked at the, like, look at the character description. And the character description was we were looking for a short, we, short, fat man with short arms and legs. And I was like, that's me. <laughs> and then I walk in. And they had me improv a sales call. That was the first audition. I just improv the sales call. And the next audition, again, if I had any idea, they took the five of us 
there were five guys. It was me, Kenny Choi, PG Byrne, Brian Saka. We were in a room. They were like, we went to go to this ho fancy hotel in Midtown. And Scorsese just comes in. And it was us in like, you know, those hotel rooms with two queen beds. We're just in a hotel room. They put up five chairs. And Scorsese just sat on one of the beds like this, like leaned on the bed. And he's like, yeah, do something. And we had these like little thing. And we literally like round robin improv sales calls in a circle and we're all just do and it was like and then you know afterwards we're like because we just kept going and he just like he just sat there watching because it's like and we were like so we just kept going and kept going and at the end he's like all right all right it's like we'll take all of them and like and he left and that's never happened to any one of us we're all like that's fucking garbage i've heard that before I've had people show up with being like, I wrote this for you, and I didn't get it. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, it was, but it was real. So the next day, he just makes decisions like that. He trusts his casting director. We gelled, and we all had chemistry immediately. And it was, of all of the auditions, truly one of the weirdest, weirdly one of the easiest auditions I've ever done. Because I've had much more, much worse processes for much worse shit. Like, and so this is like something like this was like, it was pretty amazing to watch people who know what the fuck that they're doing at the very top of their abilities do it. And it's, yeah, it was like a once in a lifetime thing. Would you say that he was very hands-on uh, director style? He was, to be honest, not that hands-on. Mm -hmm. we, we rehearsed. The best part was the rehearsal. So we could improv during rehearsal and then he turned the improv into script. So we got our input in there. And like the only the only note he ever gave me was like the, one of the very first scenes I I did excuse me where he was like you're you're playing kind of forward bring it back that's it the rest of the time we had a great time but then we're you're petrified so the first couple of weeks were like we hope we're doing a good job you know and then his assistant was like yeah just use like no don't worry don't worry if you weren't doing a good job you wouldn't be here anymore and I'm like oh cool okay <laughs> and you're like ah. Oh no! Ah. <laughs> no yet. pressure. Yeah, 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 but no, it was awesome. It was fucking. He was a blast. He was so much fun, and the environment was a lot of fun. It really was very, very special. So, just in case folks have been uh, living under a rock the past decade or so, Henry, how did uh, how did you and Marcus meet and get the show off the ground? Well, we met through Marcus was worked for a internet radio company called Breakthrough Radio, and he started a. Uh, he'd do an interview process where he was interviewing comedians that were in the scene at the time. And that's where he met me and Ben Kessel through the, the we did a whole interview process. That's how we became friends. And then from there, Roundtable of Gentlemen, which was the first podcast to be on LPN, that started. And it was in the basement of a, uh, he had this like, he had this shitty little apartment, but he had access to this basement that the his landlord allowed him to have it was a disgusting place and that's where the podcasting started and then last podcast and left it had started as a sort of horror movie like talking about horror movies but then third episode i barge in on the show i make myself on the show and i'm like we're talking about serial killers and then marks and i had this concept we started realizing like as we were going like honestly we're really into all of this stuff and this was before like it, it's one of those where I, I it's not like we knew truthfully it's not but we we're like people should like be talking about it. no one's talking about this thing in our in our way like we are like 
sitting around. It started very naturally, literally ripping bongs, getting hammered, watching horror movies, riffing on them, talking about serial killers and all the weird shit, especially at the time period, because this is like after OG internet began. Mm -hmm. So we had already been well-versed, you know, like Marcus had already been on 4chan for fucking <laughs> half a decade and everybody oh, else. No. Like we were Rotten. already in and... all of that shit. And so <laughs> we were just like, what if we do the podcast version of that? Like, what if we start covering all of this stuff that we're into and like joke about it like we do joke about it. And then as we, as the show evolved, it was more and more like, I wanna know everything about this subject. What if we do that like for the show? Like what if we become like the quote unquote shitty, you know, Monday morning quarterback expert of these various topics? You know, we're obviously, we're still morons. And we always joke about how like, the goal is then you make the information so thick that you have to fight through me to get to the information. Like, you have to deal with me to get to the good stuff. <laughs> Which is kind of the, the that was the, the game eventually, being like, I create distraction to a lot of work. And, and, and then as it kept going, the concept of deep dive podcasts in general, like, you know, cause then we were watching, we were listening to a lot of hardcore history and we're like, that's a fucking angle too. That's a way I want to go. I want this to be as thick as humanly possible. Then we started re uh, hiring researchers, hiring those, and it really is just been a natural expansion ever since. And so we're just, last podcast and left was one of those things that I was explicitly told was not going to work by many professionals, high up people. The one guy who told me that it was going to be something was the head of comedy curation at Sirius XM. And he told us in 2011, where he was just like, one day millions of people are going to listen to your idea, but we don't like it. Like, <laughs> it was a meeting where we were told no. But it was the only time the guy was like, but one day, people might like this. And so, but everybody else did not think it was. And we didn't, we did it for free. For seven years we had no we was a complete utter passion project while we were all chasing down other stuff and i think in the end that it just kind of shows that you don't know what you find when you're not looking and so the stuff comes up and it's a lot of times it's what feels right what feels where's the juju flowing where are you getting that validation from where are you getting the the, the actual movement and we just started turning into the skid and you know and it's just crazy now now we have like 13 yeah. employees we got a studio you know we're do we got a streaming show we're doing all of this stuff because and it's we just love the hell out of it it's just it's really really fun i get to just go and be a moron was that serious guy still there when you went when you guys uh rolled back no, around? they all those guys no none of them hold on to their jobs they all get like <laughs> lateral move to other i don't know how executives get their jobs and then i don't know how they keep their jobs and then none of them ever lose a job like no executives ever fire they always kind of are like picked to another job which i'll never understand because i've been fucking fired hardcore <laughs> hardcore they seem to be real easy to fire it seems to be real easy to fire you <laughs> once you're underneath the if you're under the lip oh yeah the boss yeah yeah, executives and cops, they just sort of get kicked around to different areas. <laughs> they just, get, get, they yeah. just keep them for some reason. We're going to put you in another parish. You know? Yes, maybe it's because they know too much. 
And it's just like they yeah. have to be kept within the fold. So I wanted to ask Henry, I've been listening for a long time and uh funny a little sidebar is when i met my wife and she would hear me listening to the show she didn't yet know the name of it and then eventually she started saying when we would go on a car trip would you put on the penis boys please could you put on the penis boys i'd like to listen to them That's very appropriate yeah i get it that makes total sense but, uh, very much so yeah that's a good yeah that's a good breakdown when, uh, <laughs> So you guys have covered, uh, you know, Scientology, Mormonism. When you cover those topics, I know you've had some emails or maybe some phone calls. Has there been anything beyond that? Well, the last time that when we were doing our David Miscavige series, Scientology came after us like big, big time. It's like, I I honestly want to say I'm thankful because I feel like I finally got put over because I (laughs) I'm now officially an SP. You know, like, I honestly am really excited for a really nice, it took a long time to get this, and I know I'm an SP because I literally can't book a recording studio in Clearwater, Florida. I literally can't find one that will take me, so that is very, very funny. Um, But yeah, they they came looking, they got everybody's phone numbers, they have our addresses, they started coming for us hard. But then the Danny Masterson trial really took the wind out of their sails. I would say... Yeah, and I think that they went and took the their A team had a shift to Danny Masterson for a while, so they took him off of us. But yeah, it's really that I've always wanted more controversy. We always talk about with your pretty faces going to hell about how mad we were. Is that like we kept being like, get angry. We want you to be angry at us, Christians, and they just were like, ah. <laughs> the problem is, like it's too in your makeup, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, but it's like what's hard about that too. What's funny is that, you know, Dave Willis is Christian. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's unfortunately the problem with the reason why they're not coming for us is that it's actually a reflection of Christian ideals. So they don't really have a problem with it because, yeah, of course, we're all in hell because we're a bunch of sinners. And so they don't they don't fucking care. But, in, but when we did our Conceal and Gary episode where we have all of these aborted fetuses who all receive guns in hell, that's where we finally got some form of traction. <laughs> Which I was really happy for. A couple of people got angry. And which I was like, finally. <laughs> extremely satisfied. We got some letters. We got some letters. <laughs> so out of uh, all the terrible, you know, uh, and tragic events that you guys have covered, what what would you say, which topic has fucked you up the most personally? Just research, looking into it. You know, what's funny is it kind of goes back and forth because alien episodes, uh, when we do alien episodes, I generally end up having nightmares of being abducted. It's always kind of, it seeps into my unconsciousness. I think it's because of the total, the total powerlessness that you you experience when you are, if you, if it is real, like the idea of being with a truly alien entity that has got control of the situation, it's very, that must be extremely frightening. People talk about like curling up like a feral cat. Like it's, it's like something that I I don't want to deal with. But then recently, I found myself, when we were doing the Andrew Cunanan series, getting really fucking freaked out because there's also that concept of, we've all been here. I think anybody that's lived in a in any form of partying circuit that is like especially connected to something like entertainment, like show business, when you meet somebody who's like only ever been fun, right? You meet some guy who's like, fun guy, paper thin shallow but you're like oh that kind of whatever then it turns out like that guy is like a you know later on is like a multiple multiple murderer and you had no fucking clue how close you were to getting getting got 
that is one of those stories where you're like, oh, I knew a lot of those guys in show business. I not, not like, you know, to that extent, obviously not murderers, but like, you know, there's predators and crazy people all within this, the auspices of like a fun environment because they can, because no one's asking serious questions. We're all doing bits. You're not sitting <laughs> asking somebody, you're not trying to nail down why someone's lying about where they were born. You know what I mean? Like, that style, like, the Andrew Cunanan, like, oh, he's, like, a fun storyteller. He's not a pathological liar. And then you find it, like, oh, no, that it's a pathological. That's what that is. You yeah. know, the, the the fact that you can't get a straight answer about what he does for a living or what he does. You know what I mean? Like, all that weird shit. And you're like, oh, yeah, that was crazy shady. And, yeah. You know, he was just around. You know, like, that style of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was just hanging out. And he was an absolute homicidal maniac. You know, I'm like, I love that guy. <laughs> Yeah, man, a great time. You know, like that shit's fucked. It's very scary. So uh, I know Marcus does a lot of the, you know, the writing and slash research for the episodes. But you know, which one would you say that you put the most uh, well, research into? I will toot my horn and say I do my side, but it's I do my side of research, and we have production calls. So part of what we do is we we have a list of topics, we pre-research the topics, so we have our team go and give us like a breakdown of some of the stuff so we can decide whether or not we want to do the story like we like this or we want to do something like this then marcus goes and i go our separate directions marcus will tamper down and get all of the stuff he needs for the outline and the meat the data and then i go do date i do character work so i think i try to read as much of the source material as i possibly can because it helps me get into the mindset over the environment of the story of like setting a tone what's the story about what are we trying to say what are we bringing to the story why are we telling the story you know mm. like that style yeah and then but the stuff that i bring in is i am still the, the unfortunately the person who has read more alistair crowley than marcus has ever had he's never had <laughs> i read the david ike i read the esoteria i'm reading all that fucking garbage <laughs> It's all in my head, ruining my life, trying to understand it. You know what I mean? I'm the one on Bibliotheca Pleiades, <laughs> like getting deep into the green writing on a black background that hurts my fucking eyeballs. I now had to go buy those. That's how you know you're turning 40, is that I, t in order to read my precious alien websites, I had to go buy those screen glasses <laughs> yep. you know, to protect your eyes. I had to buy those. But it's like, that's what I, so that's kind of what I do. I'm on the coast of Coast Sam, so I go with the full, the, I go to all of the fringe outside stuff and Marcus is trying to hold the line of like, what is the, what are objective facts? Mm. And I'm trying to bring in like my flavors. And now we're so that's trying what to you bring to friendship. That's what I bring to the friendship. <laughs> and then we're trying to keep Ed Larson hot and dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so have you stayed true to listening to Coast to Coast since Art Bell passed? Uh, I listen to all of it. Unfortunately, just Nori is just, George Nori is, he, you know, he's lost a step, but Open lines are still my favorite stuff. I just recently did it. I just listened to all of this stuff talking about the pyramid underneath Doug Mutchley, talking about the pyramid underneath Alaska and uh, Linda Moulton Howe and how she's just, she knows for a fact that there are aliens in the government. So it's like, that's the type of stuff I love and will always go, that, that will never not be interesting to me. And now more, there's more and more of it because then hearing from somebody's perspective, now these days too, like the biggest phenomenon of the 2020s is the online post post ironic cult where it's like a cult that 
knows it's a cult and uses the cultural trappings of making fun of how aware of cult behavior yeah. they are. And you can but you can hear a lot about what comes like recently there was this guy named Rashad Jamal. Six people were missing in St. Louis that believe his whole that are in his like mini cult. But I watched he does these like three hour long live streams and I'm watching them for hours. Like watching him talk about how, you know, because he's of the he believes the concept that, you know, white people were made in a lab. We were made, uh, we were a combo of lim lemurs, dogs, and pigs. And that um, black people don't have, they, we have blue blood, that our blood is literally blue. And that black people have different DNA than white people. And they're <laughs> aliens. It's like a whole long thing. It's intense. You get into it and you're just like, you were like, it's, it, that's what the internet has provided now. It's like these guys now know they don't need to go to coast to coast. They take it right to YouTube live and then you get it straight from the tap. The crazy. And then you can kind of figure out from there because there's something like which I got warned from my mentor, uh, Shane Morton, who does YouTube was the production designer for Pretty Faces Going to Hell. He also always remember being like, never get caught in the rhythm of a cult leader's speech because it carries you away. It's so easy to get locked in. Well, Henry, before we dive into cryptids, I believe Angelique has a harrowing cryptid tale to share with you. I do. <laughs> I was a victim of Squinjili Man. Don't you say his fucking name. <laughs> He's already come. And, and, and I want your opinion whether this is an attack or an attempt at a, a betrothal or a mating ritual. I was moving and my car was parked outside of my house. And between the hours of 7 a.m. when I went out to my car and came back inside bringing boxes and 9 a.m. My car got covered in three different types of pasta. It was dry pasta and it That's rained. That's a warning. Right. It's an Italian warning. <laughs> you it gotta go. You have salt. to move. <laughs> it dried. Yeah. And I literally had to take knives and scrape the pasta. You have to move. <laughs> you got nonad. You have to move. No. They found you. They got the they they that horrible gondolier. That gondolier man. I don't know what the term is. You have to move. That's very frightening. And I've also, never heard honestly, I do feel like someone might have been actually fucking with yeah. because it could stick to your car that's yeah. and also it like well it rained and it got soft and then it, it stopped yes. raining and it dried to my car but yes, i literally had to take a blade and scrape it off my windshield so i could get to the car wash dry <laughs> pasta at night oh. you're much blood. sailor's delight you know? yeah, yeah yeah exactly you have to go to the other side yeah you have to be careful <laughs> <laughs> the s man yeah. So, so don't. Him, okay. don't you dare I got it I got it <laughs> <laughs> so, so Henry out of uh, all the cryptids that you guys have covered which would, what do you think has the highest probability of being real I truly think that something like a Bigfoot could very well be around in a small population hidden in the woods far away from like, America is fucking huge you know, like, that's the one thing we we don't, like, it really is extremely big. There's a lot of places for things to hide. So, yes, it doesn't seem to be super apparent. And if they do have some kind of, like, almost human-like intelligence, they might specifically stay away from us. They might know to not come anywhere near us. I, I Anything that's like that. And also, like, a giant bird. We talked about this week with cryptid towns. We talked about towns that base their economy on cryptid lore. Where we're like, 
but like a, one was a giant turtle and it was like it's very possible i think that like you know a 700 pound turtle ain't that you know like it's obviously yeah. very it's good saying but who knows like i also the idea that they are more and more keying into this idea that it's a ghost or a some kind of recorded energy of an ancient animal in an area that's running on a loop like a, a haunting in a house mm. where you go and you see a thing that used to be there millennia ago but now it's the ghost of the thing that you're seeing i think could be interesting but i just think that there's you know we also don't know fucking anything about the bottom of the ocean we don't really know what's going on in there we don't really know like the orbs that we're currently seeing i think one day they will say that there's a distinct difference between quote-unquote uap like ufos and these like orbs these like literal like looking more diaphanous more like energy balls like flying around the atmosphere i think those will be one day viewed as some kind of living organism you know like as something that is something natural that we don't really have a name for yet so that could end up being a cryptid too that could end up being something like that but i think that a a bigfoot could be there's just so there's so many or at least it used to be do you think that if if a bigfoot exists it could have started life as a fat first grader with a hairy back (laughs) that's the only way as a man yeah yeah i always think about it as a european basketball player like it's a man from he's from the fucking sergovia and he is stuck he is his bus broke down in america and he just keeps walking around no one will help him so uh henry have you ever had an experience that you would consider supernatural or paranormal well, the ghosts I had was I did see what was called a ghost train, an orb going down a, a train track. That is true. I do I do saw that. My Uber driver was with me, and I do remember the Uber driver. We I was drunk, but the Uber <laughs> driver also said, what the fuck is that? It was was the giant, Uber driver drunk? He must have been. It was me and him. We were hanging out. He's like, I don't have to go back. But he, like, literally was a basketball-sized, wobbly gelatinous ball going up and down in a parabola like pattern down a train track that was like but honestly no and the only other things i've had is i've gotten heebie-jeebies but it's not quite the same like i went to the winchester house i don't know if you've ever been i have want to go so bad it's cool it's very like it is a tourist thing like it's a bit touristy but there is a room in there that is legit 10 degrees holder than the rest of their fucking house. And you walk in there and it is, it is creepy as fuck. So that's kind of, we, Marcus and I kind of brought it up last week on side stories. And we kind of talked about this. There is something to like an actual objective slash biological thing that just makes us feel creeped out. Yeah. But I don't know what that is. I don't know whether or not it's like, you know, I'm in therapy. So I always have to remind, remind myself that like anxiety is a feeling. It's not a reality, right? Like it's just <laughs> a feeling that you have where like then you wonder whether or not just because you feel creeped out, does it mean that something creepy is happening or is it literally a weird body, like a ner- nerve system response <laughs> to some form of something like magnetic activity natural aquifers static electricity like who fuck i don't know would you loop uh psychedelic experiences into supernatural paranormal or no i think that i mean i saw whacked out shit on very on a very high dose of psychedelic mushroom tea i went into a full dissociative basically saw a movie in front of my eyeballs 
of a guy dressed up like the dude from Big Lebowski who told me about how reality is a series of like like we're we're nothing is is real. We were a series of information. Our brains are operating systems that that sort of that it creates reality, and that we are in real reality is like this series of he showed me a bunch of discs, and it's like a whole long thing. I lost my fucking mind. <laughs> and then afterwards, it was way like. What the fuck was that? It changed me. So a little bit of what we talked about this week on this week's episode of Last Podcast on the Left. If you think something is real and you treat something as real, on some level, it does become that. Whatever it was, it felt thick enough as an experience that it changed me. Right. So is that not real? I don't know. That's such a good word for it, too, thick, because it's literally the atmosphere just of yourself and of your environment literally just kind of yes concentrates that's how it felt it literally felt like is the 3d space within your brain a real place mm. i don't know because also some people don't have a mind's eye like some people when i which is new i just had learned this that some people because like i'm all visual but some people don't operate like that so i wonder how they do but it's like but there's still like a 3d space where your where your actual personality your consciousness lies and what is that space? Mm. Like, is that just like, is it, it obviously, it changes the world. You know, like the, the, the book Sapiens, I think it's been coming up a lot across pop culture, but I've been, I reread it recently. And basically the two things that stopped, the, the reason why Homo sapiens beat the other primates that were in line, that were all around the same time to make it to like ascendancy is the top of the apex predator list was that, not only was our gossip, it was our social networks, but it was also the concept of we could talk about things that weren't real. When the fact that we could take something that wasn't real is that we also then inherently made it real. We're talking about things like governmental structures, religious belief systems. these, And so we took a abstract idea and then all of a sudden it's as real as a building. But it's an abstract, but it's it's not real. It's right. money, like money. You know, it's like these concepts. It's like <laughs> it's not real, but it's extremely real at the yeah. same time. So, what is what's the difference? What is that like? If it's real to you in that world, you know, then and then you make a bunch of things to make it real. Then yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my memory's foggy on this, and I know we're winding down here. But in an earlier episode, I believe it was the Chaos Magic uh, episode, you mentioned it may have been you and Marcus mentioned that you did a ritual to get a part in a part in a film was that right yes yes i did do a ritual and it did it is interesting because i have no idea now i feel like any one of those thought exercises don't help you if you're not already helping yourself towards this destination and i don't know whether or not that ritual i did actually tipped the scale towards myself i will acknowledge it because i did do something and it did work out so as it says in Magical Principles, well, you have to acknowledge it. Yeah. You have to say that it came from a ritual then. Because you, you, cause, cause then nothing, will ever, nothing you ever do will ever mean anything ever again. Something happened. Even if it was just a mindset thing that locked me in, then it did do something. But yes, and, but I try not to do things for just straight up practical nature anymore. I find that it's just not... When you're asking for stuff, because it did, it opened my life to a lot of chaos as well, which I, I, I attribute to it. I do think that it was all in one go. It was like a big thing because you just you are opening your 
brain space to a, a really chaotic idea. And so other shit fly flies into. So I, I think that it's it was uh, whatever it was. I mean, you can feel it when you feel it. I don't know if you've ever done something like that, but I've done I've done I've done a couple where you're like, a wind will rip through your apartment and shit will fall off the walls. And so, like, I've had that happen, too. And then I've also done other things where it felt like you could hear it not go anywhere. Mm. You could feel it not go to where it's supposed to go. It's it's interesting. I don't know. It's it, it's like blowing a, a soap bubble that just pops right in your face. Yes. Yes. Which you got to be careful for. Have you seen any good horror movies lately? Dude. Fucking... Oh, what was it? Where evil, where evil lurks, when evil lurks. Is that the one? The cover is like the finger going down into the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When evil lurks, fucking is awesome. That is a really, really good movie. You seen his first one, Terrified, right? Oh yeah, I love Terrified. You know what was also? You know what? I fucking really like Saw X. Haven't watched it yet. Saw X. It's haven't seen it yet. The first, if you've seen it, I'll spoil a little bit of it. Go ahead. First twenty-five minutes is Jigsaw in uh terminal cancer therapy and it's amazing <laughs> watch the first 25 sold minutes of it, and you're like there is something about this because it's like because then he gets into it but it was just like this is the most i was like i'll watch just this like this is such a funny idea because it's like jigsaw again i don't mean to spoil it but it's like jigsaw something bad happens to him right and then he jumped into his brain looking at them imagining the torture device and he would kill them all and stuff blah 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 but then he's getting the super holistic treatment for his cancer so then he's like no 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 that's not me anymore that's fucking brilliant and like i don't know if they meant it to be but i'm fucking dying it's just like it's so funny it's just like it's him drawing there's like one section where he's drawing a torture thing and he goes just rips up the page he balls it up and it's just like damn dude you fucking sold out man like as soon as you got sad you're not jigsaw anymore man. <laughs> oh fuck but it was uh I-, I was surprised because spiral was not very good so spiral was, was the chris good. rock one right yeah, it was okay. I felt, like, which made me sad. It's my favorite of the modern franchises. Like I love it, and and I was very sick with the flu a couple years back, and I decided I'm going to watch them in reverse order. And it makes perfect sense if you go from uh, seven, six, five, four, two, three, one. The story is the same. Wow! What? It just blew my That's- mind. That's yeah. really funny. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta look at that. That's actually a yeah. really good way to watch them. Honestly, it, it, it works. It works. That's a really good way. I'm gonna do that. That's really funny. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. Saw is one of my favorite. Hellraiser is my favorite. I also just think I'm gonna put it out there. I think an undersung franchise is the Leprechaun franchise. With Hell you, yeah. 100%. I think that Warwick Davis is one of the best preacher actors of all time. And Leprechaun in Las Vegas. Yes. Man, he's Leprechaun in space. He goes up that guy's pee. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> in the hood too. Oh yeah. So, okay, it doesn't get much better than that. I'll agree with that. <laughs> but the thing is is that he's like the movies are not as good, but he's good. Yeah. Like, no matter what is happening in the the rest of the movie is hot garbage, but I was like, but Warwick Davis is given 110% and it's like I love him in those movies. <laughs> There's a book called Leprechaun in the hood, the movie, the musical. And if you can find a copy of this book, it is freaking genius. It is hilarious. It's about a community theater troupe 
putting on a musical stage version of Leprechaun in the Hood. That's incredible. But they actually summon the Leprechaun. That's amazing. <laughs> Where's that movie? Where right? the fuck is that movie? Glee? Glee meets Leprechaun? Yeah, yeah. That's like a soul. I'm going to call Samuel fucking Zimmerman. For <laughs> because that's the movie right there. That is like, I want to see that. Because that's incredible. Well, Henry, just to put a bow on this thing here, what's on the horizon for you? Where can people find you? All that typical good stuff. Just look at last podcast. I'm basically off of social media, but you can go to LP on the left for all of the last podcasts on the left needs. Um, we've got Operation Sunshine. Our comic book is still being sold in local comic book stores. We're, we're pumping that out now. Um, Twitch.tv slash LPNTV. That's where we're really making a lot of new fun stuff for the internet. You know, good put is really disgusting. Jackie and I are enjoying ourselves. And then we are just, we're trucking for last podcast on the left. We're working our fucking asses off. We, and just more to come. Just making all, you know. Before we before we leave, I just want to say, and this is on behalf of my partner, who is a, a huge fan of the show. Marcus Parks is a villain who denied you the ability to talk about your Mothman 9/11 theories. Mm -hmm. And if you ever want to come on this podcast, <laughs> 15 part series, well, we'll talk about it to cover he Mothman 9/11. He and, should and have done something, but yes, yeah, people say they saw him. You come back here. Don't worry about Mothman. We got you covered we'll, here. We'll talk about it. Yeah, Mothman we'll talk about how the fact that it has revealed that Mothman is, in fact, from Saudi Arabia. Wow. Actually, very controversial. <laughs> Extremely controversial. Henry, well, thank you, man, for giving us some of your yeah. time. Thank you, sir. Thank you yeah. have a great rest of your day, man. We appreciate well, you. Yeah, man. Hail so Satan. Y'all take care. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Peace. All right, folks. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Henry. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs>